Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 31 of Greens with Envy. We're going to call it the East's Great Mountain Golf Escape. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano. And this is the podcast where Guy and I talk about where we've been, what we've played, who we've, more important, talked with and met and seen, and uh, just what's going on out in the world of golf course maintenance, really. Anyway, lots to go get through on this episode before we get into uh, any of the pre-stuff. Guy, welcome. How you doing? Doing great, Matt. It is cool to be back in the podcast room together again. I think it's probably been five or six weeks since we were both in here at the same time. That's because we're producing lots and lots of podcasts independent of each other, both for uh, our regular rotations and then a whole bunch of uh, bonus episodes that are coming out in the next few weeks to a month or so. Lots on the, uh, lots on the docket. Before we get into where Guy was, which includes Tennessee and North Carolina and some other places, we do have a few quick housekeeping notes. Turfheads Takeover and Turfheads Grilling, both fast approaching. Our sixth annual Turfheads Takeover issue is scheduled for December. Last year, I think we had 12 or 14 uh, industry professionals contribute stories. And if you have something that you want to write, if you have a story that you want to tell, write it. Tell it, and if you need help, reach out to us at M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net or G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net. That's my email. That's Guy's email. We uh, would be happy to work with you on uh, on anything you need. We already, I think, have three or four stories in for the December issue from the, the overachievers who, uh, who write in August and September for December issue. Turfheads Grilling. Brought to you by Aqua 8 Solutions is also going to be a part of the Turfheads Takeover. Uh, we will be featuring, for the first time, photos uh, online, which we've been doing all year, and recipes and, and different, uh, different grilling practices in that issue as well. If your recipe is selected as part of a bonus insert in the Turfheads Takeover issue, you get a very nice cutting board. Guy, those look fantastic. They're maple. They're engraved with the Turfheads Grilling logo. Our logo, the Aquaid Solutions logo, they will make you the life of the cookout. I thought that was just the person with the meat anyway. You need something to cut the meat on, so you might as well try to obtain one of these. Fair point, fair point. All right. Or veggies, in the case of my fiance. There are vegetarians and vegans. I'm trying to cut back on my, my red meat consumption a little bit here. Uh, the disease control survey is going to be in your inbox soon. If it is not already, we've had a few of these go out, these these turf reports. Uh, one is already published in the wild. One is forthcoming in our next issue. Disease control is the third. Take five minutes, ten minutes if you really want to. Go through everything, fill it out. The more data points we have, the more helpful this will be uh, to all of you moving forward. So take five or ten minutes when you see the disease control survey in your inbox. And finally, before... Oh, and we... you also have a chance to win a $25 Cabela's gift card for well, participating in the survey. We're randomly picking five uh, survey respondents that receive one of those. There is that too, yeah. Finally, if you do not already, subscribe to all of our Golf Course Industry e-newsletters and podcasts. The e-newsletter you can sign up for on our website, uh, golfcourseindustry.com. 
uh, on the homepage under the subscribe tab. Uh, that is the Fast and Firm email newsletter. It goes out Tuesdays. And all of our podcasts, you can listen to them on Spotify, which is where I listen to my podcasts. You can listen to them on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to them on Stitcher or I don't even know what some of the other apps are anymore. I have friends who work in the industry, and they would be ashamed of me that I can't name more than three podcast platforms. But you can listen to them anywhere, uh, including on our website as well. Wherever you listen to them, thank you so much for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. Enough for me. We're going to dive into where Guy has been. We have at least five or six stops that you made over the last month, but the first one being the, quote, old, old dude at a bachelor party. You joined one of our sales guys, Andrew Hurricane Hatfield, who's been on the podcast a few times, at his bachelor party in Tennessee, and you were probably the oldest by a decade? I believe that there maybe would have been one person there that was in their 30s. I'm 41, and the rest of the crew was in their mid to late 20s. I guess the first question before we get into the golf portion of this, since it was a bachelor party, and I did get one photo of you um, sleeping, uh, did you hang with these kids? Were you able to hang with them? Did your body not rebel against you? On the golf course, yes. (laughs) Away from the course, no. I need my sleep and my body to have the right stuff in it to be functioning, I won't even say at a high level, but it had a level, just the satisfactory, functional level. Okay. So I was there for the golf. Well, yeah. Don't clearly. tell Andrew that. I doubt he's listening. All right, Andrew, if you're listening, just skip over this. Um, so you started at Gatlinburg Golf Course, and you said you hung with these 20-somethings on the course. You probably you probably played pretty well, would be my, my opinion. Tell me about Gatlinburg. Uh, it most famous to some people for being included in the lyrics to A Boy Named Sue, which was written by, of all people, Shel Silverstein, not Johnny Cash. A few things about Gatlinburg Golf Course. It's not in Gatlinburg. Okay. It's, it's actually off the strip in Pigeon Forge. And if you ever have driven through Pigeon Forge through the, the main strip, I, I don't know the name of the road, but everyone knows the road that's been down there. It has every type of chain restaurant, tourist trap, pay-as-you-go attraction on it. I think they have... Modern Commerce Boulevard. You know, t-shirt shop, souvenir stands, where you can go and see a live alligator You know, display in the middle of it. I, I, I kid you not, Matt. Alligators in Tennessee. That's their natural habitat? In the gift shops, I guess. Okay. You know, mini golf courses, go-kart tracks, lumberjack dinner theaters. You know, I think they have a, uh, a building that looks like the Empire State Building with King Kong racing through it. Just... I'm sure you're envisioning this right now. If it, it sounds like the Vegas of Tennessee. Well, anyway, Gatlinburg Golf Course is right, right off of that, and it was designed in the mid-1950s by William Langford, who didn't you – know, most people associate him with the Midwest. I believe, Matt, you're writing a story right now about a William Langford original he was, design. He was one of the two, yeah, actually. Yeah, him I and Theodore Moreau at Blakefield. Well, well, now you've given it away, but yes, I wasn't going to say the course, but yeah, yeah, Langford was one of the two designers of that course, which is – uh, 93 years old now, 91, 92, 93, somewhere in there. Matt's writing about Blythville Country Club in western Michigan mm-hmm. for our October issue. So there we go. We teased something else that we have going on. But no, <laughs> this is uh, just classic mountain golf. Anyone that's been to 
eastern Tennessee or western North Carolina, the thing that they remember most about it is the greenery and the mountains. Uh, they're, they're, they're lush mountains. They're, they're, they're spectacular. You, know, you can see the, the haze and the, and, and the blue fog off of them. The, the sunsets are dramatic. The sunrises are dramatic. They're the biggest mountains in the east. And Gatlinburg Golf Course is a, you know, like I said, mid-1950s, William Langford design. Bob Cup did some renovation work there over the years. And, you know, up and down, uh, not a lot of flat lies on the golf course, some tight holes, uh, some holes with some amazing uh, vistas and views. I mean, the 12th hole is a par three where it's a 200-foot descent. Mm. Okay. So you talk about photo opportunities and also opportunities to play a shot that you don't get to play too often. Really, really cool. You know, we all had our phones out for that tee shot. Huh. Uh, just a really uh, fun golf course to play. I think there were 12 of us there for the bachelor party, so we were playing scramble format which made it even more fun because they had holes where you could uh you know try to cut some corners or try some things that you wouldn't do with your own ball uh brad fox is the superintendent really good turf conditions i can't imagine that that's an easy place to to grow and maintain grass you get some transition zone disease pressure and temperatures you get a lot of precipitation uh, a lot of water moves in all sorts of directions because they get some intense storms, but the, the course was in fun and fabulous shape. We actually had a, a lightning storm when we were out there, so we had to go into the clubhouse. Hmm. The clubhouse was cool, had some old pictures of, of the golf course, and you know, just, just a place that I think if a golfer is going down to that part of the world, if you're not there with your, your family or your significant other, I was there with my significant other in April, so the only golf I played was mini golf. But if you're down down that way with a, a group of friends, you're probably going to play Gatlinburg Golf Course. And uh, like I said, just a uh, great experience on a Saturday afternoon. Excellent. The lightning. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm how many times have you had to go into the clubhouse or just leave the course this year because of lightning? I feel like we've had a lot of wild weather but uh multiple times this year i'd say probably three okay but this one was pretty severe i mean you didn't even really know because of the mountains you know the clouds bounce all over the place you look at the sky you're like is it close is it not close well the 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 carts had the the gps system in or and they told you to go into the clubhouse uh there's some people that stayed out there they'll remain nameless but us older wiser people like myself said let's get in the clubhouse the good lord would not interrupt the best round of my life when it says when the cart tells you to get in the clubhouse just get in the clubhouse everybody well i mean we're probably if you take anything away from the podcast take that away from it i think you're you're probably most of our listeners are on the maintenance side and not on the playing side so we're we're preaching to the folks who know already yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. it's nothing. Uh, our listeners know that. But if, if any golfers happen to stumble into this podcast, uh, keep listening first off. But no, yeah. the course those warnings exist for a reason. And yeah. just us not really knowing Gatlinburg and the weather patterns there. You think it's close, not that close to you. Then it seems close to you. Then you think it's going to blow over and go in a different direction. You don't know what it's going to do. You can look at the radar. That helps a bit. But when they tell you to get off the golf course, get off the golf course. And guess what? You can have fun with your friends in the clubhouse still. Most clubhouses have drinks. This one had cool old photos. We met some new people from some different parts of the country. Always good. It was only a half hour. We got out and finished plenty of time before darkness. There you go. 
elsewhere in Tennessee and elsewhere at this bachelor party. And this is the course that I actually feel a connection to because Andrew came back and he had brought two caps, one for uh, his, his boss, Russ, and one for me from, I'm guessing, we both think this is how it's pronounced, the Sevierville Golf Club, although today I think he said Severville, which doesn't sound, I think it's Sevierville. I was there when Andrew bought those hats, and that was very nice of him to yes, do it that was. for you and Russ. It's a great hat. It fits me really well. I probably should have come back with something for you guys, too. I guess no. Andrew, no, okay. Andrew is the, <laughs> the giving, kind person, and I'm the uh, selfish jerk on the team. Well, I go on a road trip, and all I bring you back are, are Murray Brothers Caddyshack restaurant shot glasses because they were out of logo balls. He brings back ball caps. Yeah. We're really raising the game here internally. Yeah. I guess that's another lesson. If you go out of town and have some coworkers that you like or some staff that's doing a good job, bring them back a little bit of swag. That'll probably make them a happier person. Yeah. And they'll feel more appreciated. Anyway, Severe Golf Club, 36 holes. We played the river course. It's on the Little Pigeon River. Uh, pretty flat up until about the 11th hole. It's all the first 10 holes are on. The flat side of the property, and then you cross the street, and holes number 11 through 14 really stand out to me. 11 was a par 4 with a ravine at the end of the fairway. Then uh, number 12 was an uphill par 4, and once you got to the green, you just had great views of the mountains looking back. 13 was a dramatic downhill par 3 with a rock wall uh, in front of it. And then number 14 was one of the, the coolest holes. It looked like it was carved through the woods, native areas surrounding it on the left. Uh, really cool stretch there, 11 through 14. And it's weird because the other 14 holes are flat. A few play long and over and around the river. Uh, but you just go to this other side of the property and you're like, where did these holes come from? DJ uh, DeVictor was the architect that I really don't know much about him or his work. I know he DJ did, DeVictor. Yeah, I know he did some courses in the southeast. Huh. But we had a, a good time playing that golf course, you know, did a good job with uh, creating some native areas and some, some ponds and some naturalistic elements in that flat portion of the golf course. But really, you, you, I came away remembering how special of a stretch 11 through 14 were. Okay. Uh, in terms of just general impressions of that part of Tennessee, I know you only saw those two courses uh, golf-wise, but in terms of golf in the area, the area in general, what did you think? of Tennessee before we dive into the next state. Uh, the, the stuff that's down there is cool, but really surprises me is that there isn't a, you know, really a, a golf resort in that part of the world. You think a lot of people go to Gatlinburg. A lot of people go to Pigeon Forge. The Great Smoky Mountain National Park is the most visited national park in the United States. I think you have something like two-thirds of the United States population, or maybe it's even three-quarters of it within a day, day right, drive there. like a six or eight-hour drive. I'm surprised that there is. isn't yeah. like a 36-hole uh, or 54-hole just golf resort that markets nationwide, but I guess people are going down there with their families or maybe they're outdoor enthusiasts. It's not really, a, I guess, a place people think of to go playing golf, but you think of all the people moving in the southeast, all the people that have uh, – a passion for the game moving to the southeast and that location not being far from some really f huge and fa fast-growing cities. Uh, if I were a golf developer, that's probably one of the, the few areas that maybe I think is untapped for high-end resort yeah. destination golf. But I, I could be wrong. I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands of people have explored that, that concept in that part of the country and 
there's a reason why there isn't like a band in dunes or a stream song or a sand valley near the, the great smoky mountain national park what would be the closest resort to that area i'm just trying to think what i don't even know which would be closest well, Pinehurst. I mean, there there's some in North Carolina. How we'll, far is Pinehurst? We'll get into there? that's that's a bit of a drive. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Some of the ones in uh, some of the courses and the especially on the private side that aren't far from the Great yeah. Smoky Mountain National Park and Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. I mean, there, there's some tremendous golf near there, but I, I just can't think of that that one you know, thirty six fifty four hole destination resort course that's close to there. I mean. The, Depending on what we, I mean, the Greenbrier is probably three or four hours from there. The the homestead in Virginia, Primlin, that's only eighteen holes. Uh, North Carolina has a lot of golf, but yeah, it's it's a concept that I sort of wonder why there isn't something like that in East Tennessee. There isn't really a lot of resort golf period in the state of Tennessee, and the state of Tennessee is rapidly growing. Mm-hmm. Just not people wanting to live there, but people also wanting to. To visit there, I mean, it been there twice this year, and it was packed in April and it was packed in August. So, boy, you really put me on the spot. I almost wish I had a map of golf courses <laughs> out right now because if, if I'm missing your course and you're that type of model, apologies. That's near Great Smoky Mountain National Park. I apologize. Yeah. Well, if you are in the golf development business and you need a project, I don't know, call Guy and, and work with him on. Developing a 36, 54, 72, 90 hole resort uh, around the Smokies because he would probably just relocate. You love that part of the world. Yeah, I love uh, southern West Virginia, southwest Virginia, east Tennessee, and western North Carolina. And we're going to get into western North Carolina here in a minute. There is some golf development going on there, but again, it's on the, the private residential side of the industry not not the resort public side yep you literally write on the format here for the episode the western north carolina golf scene is booming and the first bullet point is highlands country club our friend brian Steeler, obviously there that's gonna be the first course that you talk about in the just booming western nc market yep so i escaped from the bachelor party early to do some work visits i figured if i'm gonna drive Seven and a half, eight hours down to that part of the world, I'm going to go see some golf courses that I haven't seen and see some of our readers and meet some superintendents and do some tours and work on some stories. So sort of a half personal, half work trip here. And our you know that goes. our first visit after leaving uh, Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg area was our friend Brian Steeler at Highlands Country Club, somebody that I've wanted to visit for years. I mean, we have a history of Highlands Country Club sitting here in the office that Brian sent us a few years ago. Uh, Brian has contributed to our Turf Heads takeover issue. Uh, he is the two-year president now of the Carolinas GCSA. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's just an outstanding individual, outstanding ambassador for the industry. Uh, knew a lot about Brian. Spoken with him in, a, in the past, but I've never had a chance to visit him at Highlands Country Club. So I was super excited getting there on a Monday morning. Uh, it, it, it exceeded expectations, and I had high expectations for spending a morning and early afternoon with Brian. Uh, Brian's an elected official in Highlands, North Carolina. So he's been living there now for... You've mentioned this. What is his position? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe he's not even currently an elected official. I know he has been in the past uh, on the town council there. Uh, Well, probably too busy with his Carolina's GCSA presidency right now. Yeah, and and Brian's just an amazing person. He's around my age. He's in his early 40s. He's been the superintendent at Highlands Country Club close to 20 years. So you think about it. 
Uh, he started working at Oakmont as a, as a teenager, even though he didn't even live in Western Pennsylvania. He was so ambitious. I think he started doing internships before he even got to college. He spent some time at St. Andrews, Augusta National, you know, graduates from Penn State. And a few years later, he's a superintendent at a Donald Ross design course that Bobby Jones spent a lot of time at that opened in 1928 that is really one of the premier private golf clubs of the Southeast. Uh, you know, people from Atlanta and Florida hunker up there in the, the summer. I mean, it sounds it's really comfortable, the conditions in the mountains of North Carolina. It doesn't really feel like, it. yeah, geographically you're in the transition zone, but it doesn't feel like the transition zone. It's, it's typically in the you know, 60s or 70s in the, in the summer. You don't get the, too many of those sweltering, you know, just miserable days in the 80s and 90s. Uh, th that's what mountains will do. That's when you're, you know, over 4,000 feet up in the sky, you have a golf course. It, it tends to be a little bit cooler, although it rains a bunch. Like Brian described their environment as a temperate rainforest. And I go, mm -hmm. what, what are you talking about? I thought rainforests were just in South America or Ho Hawaii or somewhere. Well, they get uh, close to 100 inches of rain a year at Highlands Country Club. So think, think about that. Think about how yep. well the golf course has to drain. Think about how well water has to move. And, uh, you know, not only was I excited to spend time with Brian, who, you know, his programs and the people that he manages are just top-notch, exceptional. Brian is, uh, like I said, still relatively young and almost 20 years into this job. And this is somebody that could have maybe a 40-year run at the same club, which mm -hmm. is almost unheard of. Uh, Brian loves Highlands Country Club. The club loves him. It, it, if you're somebody in the industry, it would be tough not to love Highlands Country Club. I mean, just such a fabulous uh, very uh, hilly course. That, like the, the front nines kind of ha has more of a part of it used to be a former uh, apple tree area and a bit of a meadow. And then the, the back nine mountainous golf. And you're going through that back nine and you're just thinking they built this course in the 1920s. How in the world did they blast blast through the, the rock and the forest and, right. it opened and the in, terrain that they had to? I mean, it opened in 28. Yes. Just the equipment that you had 93, 94 years ago as you were prepping the golf course, just, Astounding. And you see things like rock walls out there and rock outcroppings on some of the part threes and part fours. Uh, the 10th hole is super unique. There's an island fairway that's kind of, you know, sitting there in the middle of the intersection of a creek. And then hmm. just an amazing, you know, tee shot through, through, through the, uh, the woods and the mountains. And then, you know, Donald Ross Green that's up on the hill. The golf course just has 22 bunkers. And Brian brought up a good point, you know. That's one of the many great things about a Donald Ross design is I, I would say there's not even really a, a, a bunker style. He kind of, you know, adapted it for each course. Like mm -hmm. you go to one Donald Ross course and go to another one and then go to one after that, you, the bunkers could look completely different. Well, Highlands Country Club just has 22 bunkers. And according to Brian, the reason for that, uh, many people that study the history of the club, club believe is that it was such good mountainous, natural, contoured terrain that, that Donald Ross wanted to make the land the, the feature is not something uh, mm. human created like a like a bunker. So uh, that's cool. Amazing turf conditions, you know, striped striped fairways. Uh, you can push the greens in, in that environment a bit because it doesn't get as sticky and humid as other parts of the southeast. Uh, you know, Brian has this old pretty cool maintenance facility that kind of has that old farmhouse log cabin barn feel, and you just go in there and. You know, there are pictures of every superintendent in Highlands Country Club history on the wall. There's a dry erase board with uh, you know, different programs and philosophies. There's a mission statement hanging on the wall. Uh, everything's orderly in the shop. 
you know, the, the employees there are very happy and engaged. You know, Chad Stockton's been the assistant superintendent for a long time, so him and Brian know each other really well. Uh, you know, Br- Brian's the type of person that he's never going to become complacent in that job. He's always pushing. He's always looking mm-hmm. to do something else. You know, he knows a lot about all the different plant species out there. In fact, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania. I should know this, but he, he, he took me to a spot of the course where there was some you know, I, I love rhododendrons and I love mountain laurels and I thought they were the same thing, but they're really a bit different. He took me to an area of the course where a mountain laurel sitting right next to a rhododendron. I wish I could like explain it on the podcast, how they're different from each other. It's something you just have to visualize. I took a few pictures of it and it's my phone. So I've been kind of studying that. You, you were not a, a biology or, or a botany major. No, but I do love, you know, loving the outdoors and loving golf courses. I love all that. And, you know, Brian's big on, uh, He's big on everything, but he is somebody that, you know, is looking to improve the plant palette out there, looking to improve the turf grass, looking to, you know, improve whatever architectural characteristics of the golf course that can be improved. So, you know, to see somebody that is still fairly young, have a a desirable job like that for a long time and, and who keeps pushing and who has given a ton back to the industry, can't help but leave incredibly inspired after spending five hours of Brian Steeler at his home at his home. That is one course I would love to get to at some point. Need to talk with Brian, uh, have a, have a podcast idea for him. Hope to have him on these airwaves soon. You also visited the saddle at Glen Cove and, and you raise an interesting question here in your notes. Can a par three course move real estate? We, we write regularly about par threes and short courses and, they are almost never surrounded by homes. I do remember when I was out there a couple of years ago, seven, the seventh course at Desert Mountain, uh, par three out there, that was surrounded by homes, but that was part of a much larger community. The Saddle at Glen Cove, a little different situation. Yeah, so it is tied in with Old Edwards Club, which is a high-end private club slash resort course there in cashiers north carolina the old edwards inn is actually in the town of highland so i believe if you stay there you get access to the to the golf course and the golf course there is a tom jackson design uh sits on top of a mountain uh the director of operations there is jerry west he's sort of an old edwards club not the jerry west no well, Jerry this West. is the Jerry West well, not, in terms of not the, the golf industry, and I'll not, explain why yeah, here once not, we get to the not saddle. The, not the longtime Lakers guard basketball Hall of Fame Jerry West. Different, different Jerry West. Yeah, so yeah. Jerry West uh, oversees a lot of the operations of the, the golf course. Obviously, he's got the director of operations title, and he oversees Superintendent George Mancuso and his team. So the actual 18-hole regulation length golf course at old Edwards club you know, sits on top of a, a mountain and the back nine has just got some dramatic uh, downhill shots and views and elevation changes. And the, the front nine's relatively flat. So they're two contrasting nines, but then uh, below the mountain, they, the uh, owners of old Edwards club, which is uh, Arthur Williams and his wife uh, have some land and want it to, uh, build a development there and they were looking at ways to make it attractive for home buyers. Now this was around 2017, 18, this started rolling. And one of the things that they 
as they did some research, they, they thought maybe we could build another golf course, but they quite didn't want to go the 18 hole regulation, you know, 7,000 yard mm -hmm. type model. So they, they studied uh, some of these really high end short courses, par three courses, whatever you want to call them. We call them short courses here. It's funny though. I'll go to uh, some of our local short courses and go to the uh, register and say, Hey, I'm paying to play the, the short course. And they'll say, you mean the par three course? So I think the nomenclature <laughs> is still a little bit foggy on is, this. Yeah. Is there, is there a line where like soda and pop and Coke, you, 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 in certain parts of the Midwest, it's pop. You go to much of the country, it's soda. But you go in the South, and it's Coke. I'd like a Coke. Oh, what kind of Coke? Pepsi. Everything's Coke. So is there a line where it's called short courses and where it's called par threes? Or is it just interchangeable across the country, do you think? Well, being gatekeepers of at least our little part of the industry or our big part of the industry. Yeah. We call them short courses. We yeah. have a bi-monthly feature called short course stories. So I think it's up to maybe the two people sitting on this podcast to try to ingrain short course well, into people. But there's no, it's not like par three on like the East coast and the Southeast and short courses across the Midwest and the West. It's just interchangeable. You're giving me an idea for a Twitter poll when we get outside of uh, this recording. Which, spoiler alert, we, we record these in advance, and by the time this has aired, we recorded this almost two weeks ago. So if you've taken the Twitter poll, thank you very much. So anyway, there's this land at the base of the mountain below the regulation course at Old Edwards Club, and it's part of a master plan community now where the first thing they built was a 12-hole short golf course. Okay. And then came the homes. And guess what, Matt? The homes all sold. They all sold. And Jerry West was a huge part of this, the director yeah. of operations who we mentioned, you know, golf course superintendent, CGCS, you know. He's been affiliated with old Edwards Club now for a long, long time. Said the biggest mistake they did was building the homes and selling them too fast because, as you know, there was uh, a lot that happened in 2020 and mm -hmm. people started moving away. You know, if they had the means from metropolitan areas, not everyone, but there was a segment of the population that just wanted to get away from cities and go somewhere where they felt safe and secluded and had the things that they wanted in life really close bys. And who doesn't want a 12-hole uh, awesomely designed short course with terrific bent grass playing surfaces in their backyard? So uh, the houses kind of have that, that rusted carriage feel. They're They're not like... They're not mansions. They're just tastefully done type homes. And they built the golf course first, opened in late 2019. Then they're building the other amenities. So they're, they're going to call it an adventure wellness community. Uh, the clubhouse is a barn. There's an 18-hole mm -hmm. putting course outside of it with two rocks in the middle of the putting course that have speakers going through it. And they can also <laughs> set TVs up there. The clubhouse will have golf simulators, bowling alley, uh, you know, fire pit outside it there's a uh, short game practice area there to hit wedge shots and that type of thing and basically it's designed so that and bo welling designed it who his name's blowing up in the industry you know he, he helped tiger woods design with blue jack national which right. has the playgrounds the the short course there he helped tiger woods design with the um i believe the peter hay course at pebble beach so bo, bo's been involved in some of these high profile ones he's working at pga frisco now doing one of the regulation courses there a little little facility down there yeah just just a little bit one so 
Uh, but no, a lot of the decisions on the ground there, though, were made by Jerry West, who's entrusted by the owners of Edward, Old Edwards Clubs yeah. to make a lot of big decisions there. And that, that course is as much of Jerry West's course as anybody. In fact, can you imagine this, being somebody that is involved in golf course maintenance and operations? They let him pick the name of the course. Wow. So he picked the name The Saddle. It's called The Saddle at Glen Cove. Glen Cove is the name of the development. And Jerry West got to pick the name. Uh, could you imagine just the pressure and anxiety to, to name a golf course? Well, you think about everything that goes on. You know, all, yeah. all the swag, the shirts, the hats, the golf balls, the bags, the scorecards. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be everywhere. The website, the Twitter handle. you got to make sure the Twitter handle is available. All this stuff that you wouldn't think, yep. you know, 90, 100 years ago. Nobody, nobody at, at Highlands was looking up in 1928 if, A, there was other Highlands, uh, country club and b if at highlands cc was available on twitter and instagram yeah it's just not about uh mowing stripes and disease at that point is Mm -hmm. it matt controlling disease at that point but no uh just to to walk around the course with jerry west was really really special you could tell that somebody realizes what a opportunity he had to put his own imprint on a project that and a golf course that's going to be there for a long time and Mm -hmm. it really could make people change the way they look at things because this is going to be a big-time success. It already is in terms of real estate sales. And like I said, not all the amenities are completed yet, but the golf course is. It's such a fascinating golf course. You know, a lot of slopes that run towards greens. You know, there's a punch ball green. There's a Biarritz green. There's a hole that plays over, get this, Moonshine Falls. Moonshine Falls. That's a great name for a, for a, a waterfall on a golf course in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, just the, the, the striping of the bent grass was just so, so dramatic. I mean, it's maintained by the team that maintains old Edwards club. That's a big advantage that they have is that they run the maintenance operations out of one building. So that really, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about adding a, a par three course, you know, and I asked Jerry, I said, well, is this a model building a par three course to, to move real estate that could work elsewhere? He said, no, they had a lot of things working in their favor. They had this beautiful land. But he said what really worked in their favor is that you already had the existing golf course maintenance operation, so you didn't have to buy a ton of new equipment or hire you know, a, a staff from scratch. You know, they have a superintendent that they've right. you know, delegated the, Everybody is there. the par three course yeah. responsibilities to. So. But it's an interesting concept, right? Who would not want to love, who would not love you know, rolling out of their back patio or deck, have a few clubs in their hand, and play – a beautifully designed and maintained golf course in an hour. And it's also set up, it's set up brilliantly. So there are like two jumping off points on the course where you can play like a four hole loop. I think it's two four hole loops within the 12 holes and maybe they have a three hole loop too. So there are different ways you can play it even faster. Uh, There are going to be some floodlights into it. So there's going to be some night golf that goes on and it's going to be a community gathering spot. And it sounds kind of hokey, but it really is going to connect generations. And when you think of short courses, they're, they're important on so many levels, but if you think about it, they could expedite somebody's arrival into the game. Let's mm-hmm. say your awesome daughter Margot wants to play golf. Are you really going to take her on a regulation course first no, around here? You're going to take not. her to Shawnee Hills or Washington yards. Metro Park yeah. or North Homestead Golf Club. We, we're lucky to have a few. Yeah. And you know, as the baby boomers age, it could prolong their careers because it's a heck of a lot easier to play a 80 to a 140 yard hole than it is to try to play a 400 yard hole. So well, you're going to get people earlier and you're going to prolong careers. They're such a great concept. And then even if you're the avid 
hardcore golfer, it's better to practice your wedge game in live situations like that than sit, sit on a range and beat a bunch of balls. Right. Well, and it's just like the story that I'm working on that you've already teased uh, for our October issue, Construction and Renovation, Blythefield Country Club up in Michigan. One of the things that they implemented there as part of the master plan, this was, uh, this was Chris Wilzinski, the architect, was adding five to six new tees for every hole. So even if you have an 18-hole championship-length layout, and you don't have room for a 9 or a 12-hole short course or an 18-hole short course. Now, there are other options within what you have, and it's all designed to make the game more accessible. You make it accessible to newer and younger golfers, both, but you also make it accessible, like you said, to the, the aging golfers who might not want to play from 7,000 yards or even 6,000 yards or some days even 5,000 yards. So it's just having all of these entry points I'm a new. I'm still a new golfer. I'm a terrible golfer. I've been golfing for less than three years, so you have these entry points for short courses, for practice areas, for putting greens and putting courses. Um, you know, you just make the game more accessible. You know, it, it's never a bad thing. I don't think. As you can tell, Matt and I are huge advocates of, of short courses. A little bit. And I've I've visited. And I'm not just doing, saying this to, to, to pound my chest and do a look at me moment, but I've seriously, Matt, visited hundreds of golf courses in my seven and a half years mm-hmm. of golf course industry. And the saddle at Glen Cove was as thought provoking as any facility I've been to because you think about how it fits into what the future of golf could be. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, is making the game more accessible and, and not having to carve out four or five hours to play 18 holes, you know, just having different entry points for people. So we'll have more on this in our or November issue. It'll be our November short course story profile. You know, there'll be a lot in there about Jerry West and his connection to, to the course. And also shortly after I, I returned, I had a chance to speak with Bo Welling on the phone and he provided some great insight, not only into the, the saddle, but short courses in general. You know, short course stories are only two pages in the magazine, how are you going to fit all that into two pages? This really could be a co- <laughs> this really could be a cover story on a lot of levels. We have some decisions to make, Matt. All right, we won't make them here on the air. No. Uh, before we before we move on, do you have anything else you want to tack on about Old Edwards Club? You write the views there certainly don't stink. No, that's a that whole area is just amazing, Matt. Yeah. That Western North Carolina, there's a lot of high end golf there. And a lot of high-end real estate, and they have no trouble right now moving the real estate and no. selling the memberships well, and, 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 and getting play at these courses. We, we had that whole diversion, uh, the spur in our conversation about uh, short courses, but you did mention that if there was one thing that they had done at the Saddle at Glen Cove, it was not sell everything so quickly. I'm assuming that they sold all those lots before this recent housing boom where probably everything went up in value anywhere between probably 15 and 40%, depending on where you are in the country. Yeah. But who really three years ago saw nobody would have forecast that. No, of course not. Of course right not. Right now happening. No, of course not. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing all those lots just increased a ton right after they sold them. Uh, elsewhere in North Carolina, you went to Asheville. You want me to tell you and everybody listening why I love Asheville. Before we get into the golf course, I visited in Asheville. Matt, just tell people about Asheville, North Carolina. 
I've heard you speak about it, and you seem to really love the place. It's a, it's a great place. Um, there are some very good people there. I love the mountains. I lived for a few years in eastern North Carolina, about an hour east of Raleigh, and we only got over to Asheville, I think, once during that time, but we've gone back two or three times since. It was actually Margot's first real vacation. She was almost a year old. She had terrible earaches, and I had headaches. It was not the best vacation, but it was a great place. Uh, just the mountains, there's a wonderful, um, what's it called, mountain to sea trail that runs for hundreds of miles across North Carolina. Some of it's on the side of a road, but still it's, it's really cool. Um, great breweries. I don't really drink anymore, but great breweries. The Asheville tourists play in one of the coolest minor league ballparks you'll ever see. It's called McCormick Field. It's almost a century old. It's basically built into the side of a little mountain. And super, super fun fact here. Uh, unless the ownership has changed, I believe the Asheville tourists are still owned by the family of Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, which is kind of a fun fact. But the more fun fact is that the Asheville tourists also own the legal trademark, and they have a plaque in their office. They just don't have the funds to pursue everybody who uses the term. But they do own, the Asheville Tourists Baseball Club owns the trademark to Thirsty Thursday. This is true. So if you've ever seen a place... Advertise Thirsty Thursday. Uh, it is actually a trademark term owned by the Asheville Tourists Minor League Baseball Club. There's lots of reasons to love Asheville. If you need a vacation, it's probably not that far from you. Very close to 77. Uh, cannot recommend the whole city highly enough. Uh, Thomas Wolfe was from there. They've got all sorts of stuff that I'm going to leave out. Uh, just, a, just a wonderful place. I got to see a wonderful golf course in you did. Asheville. You did. We're going to bring up a name that... Uh, has already been mentioned on this podcast, Matt. You know whose name that is? Was it Thomas Wolf, who I just mentioned? You can't go home again. No, this guy was sort of like the Thomas Wolf of golf course architects, I guess. Was it? Was this? Was this Donald Ross? Of course, it was oh, Donald Ross. Oh, Donald Ross. When you talk about golf courses and doing visits in North Carolina, who else? You're probably going to see multiple Donald Ross yeah. courses yeah. on your trip. And I had an opportunity to spend some time at Country Club of Asheville, which is one of the 15 uh, private. Golf facilities owned by McConnell Golf there in the in the southeast. Uh, we've you know one of the really great golf success stories, management success stories of the last twenty years is McConnell Golf, and I had a chance to spend some time with Assistant Superintendent Will Lane. I reached out mm-hmm. to Superintendent Brandon Engel, who we know well, but he was volunteering a PGA Tour tournament at another McConnell Golf facility. He was volunteering that week at the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield. Mm. At Donald Ross Design, of course, in Greensboro, where the tour was playing that week. Uh, so he put me in touch with his assistant superintendent, Will Lane, who we met Will two years ago at the Carolinas GCSA show. I hope to see him again here in a few months. Just a, a remarkable uh, rising presence in this industry. Will made the move from Daniel Island Club mm-hmm. outside Charleston in April to country club of Asheville, and the reason he made that move was his whole career had been spent basically on warm season grasses wanted some cool season grass experience to make himself more well-rounded as a as a superintendent candidate and will's going to be a superintendent sooner than later he'll make some club very very happy so he he landed at country club of Asheville, working for our friend brandon engel Mm -hmm. in the spring and i mean he took me around the golf course and they just got hammered by rain the night before i think they got something like I kid you not, like two inches of rain in 20 minutes, so the bunkers were washed out. Uh, the crew was just 
absolutely just pounding out uh, bunkers to get the course playable for the members. And the members were there right away when they were allowed on the golf course. You know, private club right now, almost anywhere on a nice morning is going to be filled with tee times. Mm-hmm. And just had a terrific uh, tour with Will. Uh, he is actively involved in recruiting high school students to work at the golf course and had some great successes this year getting uh, some unfilled positions filled by tapping into young labor pipelines there in the Asheville area. Real quick, I feel like, and maybe this is just the folks who really read the magazine and reach out and are, are really involved. Maybe it's not an accurate portrayal of the industry as a whole, but I think it is. I feel like there have never been more high school students on cruise as there have been in the last year, year and a half. So we asked about a month ago on Twitter, we did a Twitter poll, do you have high school students or college students working on your crew this summer? And I think it was like 68% came Mm -hmm. back. It was somewhere close to 70% came back. Yes, which is great because you're filling those unfilled positions, especially during the summer where in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic and Midwest, things are really popping and busy. Uh, The biggest complaint I've heard about the students, Matt, is... They have to leave. They have to leave. They got to go back to school. Yeah. You, you know, some superintendents. It's really hard to do morning, morning, uh, morning work on the course when you've got an 8 a.m. Spanish class or a 9 a.m. algebra class coming up. Now, now, some superintendents and assistant superintendents are getting creative and finding ways to maybe bring them in in the evening to do yeah. some jobs that need done or finding ways to get them to come in at least for a few hours on the weekend. But that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's part of the situation with students, and it's just not golf course maintenance. Think of all the things that you enjoy doing as a human being or we enjoy doing human beings during the summer months where you're relying on students, right? Like mm-hmm. think about your favorite ice cream or custard place. You're probably going to local go- pool. The right. local pool where we take Margot has extremely limited hours for the last few weeks of its opening. It closes on Labor Day. Uh, I think they open like one o'clock on the weekends and they're only open at nights during the week because who's the lifeguards? It's high school kids Amusement- in their red suits. Amusement parks, right? Like yeah. we're an hour from Cedar yeah. Point. You- I haven't been there for a while, but I'm assuming if you go there, in yeah. the summer, you're probably going to see people that are you know, in their late teens working some of the games and rides, yep. carnivals, parks that have maintenance employees. So it's just not yeah. golf courses that lose that seasonal staff when school starts. I mean, a big part of the tourism entertainment economy relies on sure. students coming to yeah. work. Inexpensive young labor, new labor. and you know, Minor so, league baseball stadiums. Sure. So take it for what it's worth. It was a Twitter poll. It's not a scientific poll. It's not like we're doing it with our, uh, our research partners at, at Signet Research, which we you know, work with on four or five things a year. But, you know, Twitter poll, uh, fairly good response, especially because you've got about 4,000 followers and, and GCI has about 18,000. Uh, so we're getting a good, a good cross-section. So even if it's five or six out of 10, says seven out of 10, I don't think there's certainly in the last decade or two been this many high schoolers on maintenance crews had a great morning like i said with will really impressive uh assistant superintendent who's going to become a superintendent like i said sooner rather than later really interesting career story started his college out at nc state he wasn't in turf sort of lost his way at nc state but wanted to stick around raleigh because he had friends there so he, he got a job at Raleigh Country Club, I believe he told me, I think working at the pool at first and then moved over into golf course maintenance, uh, started really enjoying it, uh, developed a relationship with the superintendent there, Billy Cole, who Will called his first mentor, 
Will's affinity for working on the golf course started growing, and he ended up going to Sand Hills Community College to get his turf education. Mm-hmm. And, Good people there. You know, like I said, now he, he's on his way. I mean, kind of interesting that uh, he, he already knew a ton about Country Club of Asheville. Like I said, it's a Donald Ross design. Just some, uh, you get up to the uh, 16th tee, 15th green, had some views of uh, downtown Asheville in the distance. Uh, really, holes eight through 18 and are really dramatic and have elevation changes and some of the things that you would contours and undulations and slopes that you would expect from Donald Ross greens. Uh, oh, like I said, the, the facility was bustling with activity and there are a few other Donald Ross courses nearby. I, you know, built more country club is a Donald mm-hmm. Ross design. Uh, the Asheville municipal course is a Donald Ross design. Uh, I believe the there's probably one. I think there's one. The Omni Corsair is a Donald Ross design. So Donald Ross is really a, a big part of the Asheville golf scene. Like he pretty much is everywhere in the Carolinas. But mm-hmm. Asheville, Asheville in particular is where Ross did a lot of work in the 1920s, including Country Club of Asheville. Yeah. Anything else that you want to talk about from Asheville, North Carolina? No, I think that's good. I uh, okay. want to get back there again at some point and see the Biltmore one day. I've heard great things about that place, but I also want to see the other uh, Donald Ross courses in town. It's it's a site we saw before Margo was born, and now that we have a five-year-old, it's not worth the 60-whatever-dollar entry fee, <laughs> unless we can go without her. Last course here on your on your lineup here from the from the format for the episode, a pit stop, a pit stop to a place that you've been before, and I know you enjoy. Uh, you actually, you have a little bit of swag from them. So on the script, I put pit stop in quotes. Do you know why I put pit stop in quotes? Did you, were you just getting an oil change there? Do you know what town the old farm's in? I don't think I do. It's in Bristol, Virginia. Oh, okay. Bristol Motor you Speedway. You know what? Sure. Seriously, yeah, yeah. right across the street from Bristol, Brist- Virginia? Bristol Motor Speedway. Bristol, Tennessee. Which is home to Bristol Motor Speedway. So I think we talked... Burying the lead here, guy. We talked about the old farm on a Greens with Envy a that's few years right, ago. That's right. uh, Bristol is one of the, the more interesting Main Street downtowns you'll ever see because the line in the middle of the road... Is a state Is the state line. line. Yeah. Tennessee's on one side. Yeah. Virginia's on the other. The old farm happens to be on the Virginia side. And it was right off the interstate on my drive back from Asheville to Northeast Ohio. I figured I might as well go stop and see what's going on there. I had reached out to my... Uh, friend Josh Pope, who's the superintendent there. Guess what, Matt? I have no Just idea. Just like our friend Brandon Engel, he wasn't around when I was coming through. Oh. Josh was volunteering at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont Country Club, helping Dave Del Sandro hmm. and the team out there. Tough go of it. Uh, Josh worked at Oakmont as an assistant superintendent as he was rising through the ranks, but Josh put me in touch with his assistants, Dylan Collins and Jason Ditto. They took me around, so it's pretty cool to have a day where I'm sure Brandon and Josh, don't mind me saying this, it was great that they actually weren't around as much as we know both of them and have high respect that they do because they would argue that it was probably a big growth opportunity for their assistant superintendents to spend time with someone like myself coming through who's a storyteller. So that's one thing that you you may have to do as a superintendent or assistant superintendent is take somebody from the media around the golf course. So it was a Mm -hmm. learning experience for the assistant superintendents and it was a great uh, for us to develop some new relationships and connections because we know that you know, we're probably never going to piss Josh and Brandon off. And there are people that we not. can count on for uh, story ideas and help you know, down the road for a long time. They're, they're two great friends of ours. So I went around the course with Jason Ditto, who I knew. 
he's been an assistant superintendent there for a long time. He's the longest tenured golf course maintenance employee at the, the old farm. The course opened hmm. in 2000, the Bobby Weed design, and Jason's pretty much been there the entire time. Uh, somebody who went to school for something else and started working on a golf course and has worked on a golf course ever since. Hmm. There are a lot of those in the industry. I think you've, there are more of those in the industry than people who grow up saying, I want to work on a golf course, go to school for it, end up working on a golf you've, course. You've named a couple in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, so... Anyway, so the old farm is just a, an amazing property, you know, single owner, really high-end private club with a national membership. Just everything there is so tastefully and thoughtfully done from the, the brick clubhouse to, the, to the, the, just the presentation at the gates. And everything's just so tidy and orderly and unassuming, but it's just the sprawling property that used to be farmland. That's why it's called the old farm. Mm-hmm. And Josh and the team just do a, a, a fabulous job. Uh, they did a bunker renovation last fall with Bobby Weed, you know, t- 20 years old. That's about the time you're going to start freshening up some infrastructure and uh, everything looks great. That's uh, a course with uh, just so many different ways you could play it. Not a ton of trees out there, sort of a inland. I, I know people say this a lot, but sort of has that, that feel where you can play the ground game. And you know, I want to say the L word, but I'm not going to say it because it's in the middle of Virginia. Inland Links, mm. but it's one of the uh, the premier golf courses, really, not just in the southeast, but in the United States, especially modern. I call it a modern marvel every time I I go there. And the bent grass that that is a transition zone growing environment, and it was brutally steamy when we were going around that afternoon, and the bent grass is just help, holding up terrifically, and it was just a joy to take that pit stop and stretch the legs and spend some time with Jason and Dylan and. Uh, I know Josh was there in spirit because I started texting him how great everything looked right when I left. And I'm sure it's a place we'll make it back to at some point. They're building a new maintenance facility too, which is really cool. Highlands country clubs in the process of planning a new maintenance facility. So I'm starting to see more and more of these men as I go around. I've been to, yeah, you uh, said you've seen what three, three this summer where they're, they're either building them or getting ready to build a new maintenance facility and I think that's more than I saw in my first seven years of doing uh, course tours at golf course industry. So that's a sign that things are going really well because when you look at the capital improvement priority list, usually the maintenance facility keeps getting shoved down towards the bottom of it. So you know clubs are doing well when they're investing in new maintenance facilities. Yeah. Well, that's a fun whirlwind, uh, whirlwind trip through Tennessee and North Carolina and the state line with Virginia. Heck of a trip, guy. Yeah, just like you had one a few months ago. Yeah, it's summer. It's it, Well, summer's over by the time this airs, but summer is a time for trips, and if you can't do it in summer, do it when you can. Yeah, so it was a joy to visit all the people that we visited. It was cool to share Andrew Hatfield's big weekend with him. and uh, you know, Glad get, he's alive. We're still. getting into probably, in my opinion, the best time of year for golf. Best time of year, In the period. Northeast, Midwest, period. Mid-Atlantic. Temperatures are starting to cool down, and I'm sure we're going to be out and about here in the next two months seeing a lot of uh, the, the, the cool weather facilities that are within driving distance yeah. of Cleveland. So fall, we'll have some good greens with envies coming. Fall is the best season, Guy, and this is not up for debate. No, I am, would never argue that. Yeah. Matt and I bicker about some things, but we would not bicker about good. fall good. being the best time of year. Good. Okay. 
Well, to quote my favorite radio show host from years and years ago, Click and Clack, Ray and Tom Magliazzi, the Tappet Brothers of Car Talk fame, you've done it again. You've spent another perfectly good hour listening not to Car Talk, but to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network. For Guy Cipriano, the editor-in-chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and all the rest of the great folks who work on the magazine and here at GIU Media, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening. We could not do what we do without you.